And now if you'll join me on page six for our scripture reading today, Ruth 1, verses 19 to 22. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. series in Ruth this morning. Last week, uh, Gray looked at the first 18 verses. I'm kind of zooming in on these four for this week. It's like when you're watching a TV show and you kind of go through an episode, you're like, you know, I don't think a lot of plot happened in what I just watched. That was a character development episode. Okay, so there's buy-in. So that's a little bit what this morning's sermon is, is, is going to be similar to that. Let me begin with prayer. Lord, as we look at these words of Naomi spoken and recorded long ago, they resonate with us. As we think often, we have felt similarly. And we ask this morning that your word would shed light on this state of being, this in-between, this tension that we often feel as we seek after you. I pray that our hearts would be warmed and encouraged by this story, that we would have our hearts laid bare before you and that your word would continue to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and as we take it in, as we hear it, and as we seek to live it out. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, you likely know the plot to C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, a famous story of children who find themselves in a magical snowy land via a portal in the back of a wardrobe. And I won't rehash everything, but as they trudge through the snow, they come across a local, and he informs them as to the state of Narnia, why Narnia is so cold and snowy. And he says these words. He says, Narnia is under an evil power, and as it currently stands, it is always winter, but never Christmas. Always winter, but never Christmas. That is the state that we find Naomi this morning in this passage. She has just returned to Bethlehem after being gone for 10 years, during the course of which she has lost her husband, her two sons, her her sense of of anything that her her family might mean continuing, continuing forward. She's back in Bethlehem, but she may as well be in Narnia. It's always winter and never Christmas. You can hear a little bit, as we just heard read, the cynicism in her voice, the resentment. If I had to kind of summarize the accusations that Naomi speaks of, 
for us today, and we'll look at them a little more deeply in a second. I think when Naomi gets to this town, what she is feeling, the heaviness of her heart is, my life is a mess, and I don't think God cares. And I know that we can sympathize with Naomi, because the truth is, a lot of us have felt like that. My life is a mess, and I don't think that God cares. And maybe we didn't even know that the Bible would would dare to articulate for us this feeling that can wash over us at times when we reach the point like Naomi, where we're no longer sure how to bridge the gap between the, the faith and the hope that we have in God, and yet the bitterness of our own experience. This is the always winter but never Christmas gap. Our experience is bitter cold, and the Christmas that we long for, the the good end, the resolution, the abundance, the harvest, the healing, it continues to be delayed. You say things like, my marriage is a mess, and I don't think that God cares to fix it. My finances are a mess. I don't think that God cares to provide My thoughts are a mess, and I don't think that God cares to take them from me. Or I've been longing for friendship but feel so utterly lonely. And we can think to ourselves, what what gives? And, And as Christians even, how many more Sundays, how many more Sundays am I walking into church with my life in the state that it is and this longing for God to make things right still seeming like it's delayed, like I'm waiting, waiting, waiting for it. Well, if, if I think if you were to reduce this, these four verses down to even further, if you want to stick the pot on the stove and reduce the passage uh, down, cook it down a little bit, I think these are the two questions that are going to be left in this passage, two questions that are asked in these verses. The first is when the women of Bethlehem ask is this Naomi? Which we see, as it says, that means pleasant. They're asking her who she is, if she's come back, but but the question deeper is, is this pleasant? Is this good that you're back here? Are you good? That's the first question that she gets asked, and, and contrasted to that is the second question buried in the center of Naomi's outcry when she asks them, why call me Naomi? Why call pleasant what is so bitter? Why call me good? I'm not good. And it's the second question that's left hanging. We get no response. Really, I think the question hangs over the rest of the book as the Lord provides an answer for why her name should still be Naomi and how he's going to provide for her. But it's a, it's, a, it's a question that she asked that only God can answer. And so we get silence from the women in this passage. So this is what I want to orient on this morning as we look at Naomi's grief and as she's trying to grapple with the grief that she's feeling and this feeling of like, God does not care for my life anymore. And how do you bridge the gap between those two realities as a Christian? Here's, here's what I want to orient on for the rest of the sermon. We have to wait for God to deliver the disappointed. This is what Naomi is being called to do. This is what we who relate to Naomi are being called to do in this passage. It's not a really flashy kind of like thing to wait uh, 
but, but, that, but that's the reality. If we're going to stay in this moment with Naomi in these verses and not jump ahead and not just say, well, hey, wait, quick, finish, uh, just turn the page. Let's get to the end of Ruth and just see how it gets better. Let's just stay with Naomi here in a minute and see what, what, what the Lord is calling her to do. And that is she has to wait for God to deliver her from her disappointment. And so this morning, we're not like leaving with a lot of resolution on Naomi's end. We're going to go through this book over the next couple weeks, and this morning we're going to stay in these four verses. We'll let the story unfold as it does. Naomi's story is a story of deliverance. It's a story of God caring deeply for this disappointed woman. But let's practice our waiting right now with Naomi this morning. As she is in this season of, of grief and waiting, waiting for God to deliver, we're going to practice our waiting. And so I'm going to ask, how will we wait in this similar season that we often find ourselves in? I want to look at three items this morning, three sort of while you wait sort of things. Things to consider, things to practice, things to mull over before the Lord as we all are waiting for him to deliver us ultimately and even in different seasons, deliver us from different seasons. Here's the first one I want to look at this morning. While you wait, lean on God's presence. Lean on God's presence. It's very interesting to look at the hidden layer behind Naomi's accusations toward God. She is very raw, very unfiltered in what she says, and yet, for the most part, I would say she remains on good fitting, on good footing doctrinally, theologically. She, she says some, some intense things, but, but she's saying things that are true about her life and her experience with God. Let me read these again and, and see if we can find the layer hidden behind them. She says, do not call me Naomi, which is pleasant. Call me Mara, which is bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? You see, during her accusations towards God, she actually remains very connected to God. Very different from how Maybe we have an impulse sometimes when, when calamity strikes in our life to say, is this calamity evidence that, that the God isn't, isn't really there or that he's not real or that maybe he has an evil bent towards me? Naomi's uh, words here do stay connected to God. She says, God has brought this on me. Whatever is going on is between him and me. Something has come between us. In other words, again, the Lord has testified against me. And so Naomi here does not need a new dose of information, really. She doesn't need to really learn. She will learn things as her life goes forward, and that will help her. But in this moment, what she's crying out, she's going straight to the source, straight to God. This is, this is the one with whom things are not right, and I need his presence. And God is actually delivering her right now into what she needs, and that is presence. She is back in Bethlehem, as we read, where she is known. She has the irrepressible Ruth by her side. She's experiencing God's favor, as the verses tell us. She is in the beginning of a harvest, and God is, is meeting her needs on every side with what she actually needs, even though she remains 
as this accusation, this complaining spirit before the Lord. And so often in our grief, when we are forced to wait, like Naomi is forced to wait here, our response is to seek out other information that might help us or to kind of take on a learning mentality. One famous American author captures this well in a quote, in time of trouble, I had been trained since childhood. Read, learn, work it up, go to the literature. Information was control. And we see this in our lives all the time. I mean, you, it's, it's so common when someone receives a medical diagnosis or something is going on with our health. Well, it's, it's the data, it's the doctors, it's the tests that so quickly become a key part of that conversation, like searching for something to hold on to. And that's not that it's wrong, it's not bad, but it's an orientation, it's an impulse towards something that is, that is lesser than what is actually needed, and that is, and that is presence. We need both to experience God's presence in those times, and we need to, to be the presence of God to others in each other's lives without having to bring an answer or solve this thing, like not solving Naomi's grief here, but just being with her. And the presence of God is a huge topic. Pastor Gray just led a three-hour workshop on this last week, so I'm not going to uh, summarize that for you. I'm not trying to to uh, wave, wave that away either or anything. I just, just want to ask one practical question for us this morning. In our waiting, as we, while we wait, leaning on the presence of God, just one question for us. What is our impulse in our grief and our impulse when someone near us is grieving? Does it all have to do with, I need the right information, the right knowledge, the right wisdom, the right tool, the right approach? None of those would adequately address what Naomi is experiencing here and and what we know we are experiencing and others around us are. Information can be wonderful, but it will under-deliver on what the presence of God can do for us and us being that presence to one another. And this is so very common in our our Christian life, I think, to be centered in this way, to kind of approach our, our, our prayer even and our Bible reading in this way and say, well, I'm tired. I'm just not getting anything out of it. And, I, and I, of course, we sympathize with that. But that may be a, an indication that there's an impulse here to kind of be like mining for something versus receiving what's already there and stepping into what's already been given to us. And so we, in our waiting, we need to we need to lean on the presence of the Lord and just bring that before him. Bring our grief as Naomi does before him. Take it right to the top. Take it to the one who knows like she does and seek his presence in that space. Now look with me at verse 20. Here's Naomi's response when they ask, is this Naomi? That first question. She says to them again, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Okay, she asked them to call her Mara. Jump down now to verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the mo. Okay, so we missed it there, but let's get it uh, on the next one with this name change. It's not in your bulletin, but I'll just read the first verse from chapter 2 uh, that we'll pick up next week. So Naomi had a relative of. Okay, so the author is not letting. Mara stick. This author in the Bible continues to call her Naomi. Right after she makes this statement, the rest of the passage, she is never referred to as Mara again. 
And to quote an early 2000s classic movie, stop trying to make Mara happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Clearly, Mara does not stick for the rest of the book. And I think God took much pleasure in inspiring this book and recording this thought of her, that her name would be changed to bitterness, but then not using that after that, because he wanted to record the reality and the intensity of what she experienced in this moment and how he did make her life pleasant even as it unfolded. And this is next for us for while we wait. While you wait, lean on God's perspective. Lean on God's perspective as we wait. We catch something even beyond Naomi's name, staying Naomi, in verse, at the end of verse 22. They, they come to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And I don't want to pick too much on Naomi here, but this is one piece that does offer an interesting perspective on her earlier statement where she said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. We understand that she did lose her husbands and her sons. There's a deep emptiness to that, of course. But we, but, but we also remember in the first verse of this whole story, Naomi left because there was a famine, because there was widespread empty stomachs. And now she has returned to the beginning of the harvest. And so we sympathize with what Naomi is saying here, and yet even in her suffering, do you want her to lean on God's perspective here, to see the greater perspective that is at play here in her life? This is his perspective, his provision. Naomi is ready to change her name, but God isn't changing her story at all. She's on the same path, and he is providing for her. And Naomi needs a gentle prompt to wait on the Lord, as we often do, to wait on him to, to bring us into a new harvest and a new chapter. And I know so often in, in my own life, hardship has often prompted this kind of internal like, I shouldn't even need, I shouldn't be going through this. I shouldn't need to deal with this. I shouldn't need to bring this. And it's an inconvenience that I'm praying about this and processing this and grieving over this. Why can't God just, just take that away? But here again is, is, is leaning on the perspective of God. And I think we have a, this quote, uh, Gabor, up here. But I just want to share this from my reading this week. Like Naomi, we may be so busy complaining about our emptiness that we miss the fact that God has emptied our hands in order to fill them with something so much better. I'm not trying to brush aside Naomi's suffering here or grief by saying that. And I'm just saying the narrower perspective needs to be broadened out to the loving Father's perspective as we wait. So here is, here's another way to, to practice this even as as we ourselves wait. Practice, um, practice remembering what the Lord has done. I was a part of a church for a, for a season that practiced heavily this, uh, what they called Ebenezer making. If you've ever heard the song, Come Thou Found, there's a, there's a line in it that we often take out now. It's here I raise my Ebenezer, and that would be weird if you're first time in church. Like, I'm not sure what, what's going on here. It's an Old Testament word. It's a word from the Bible. It just means um, it means stone of help. Just comes from a time when the Lord uh, brought help. And so when th the idea is this, we, we take the time to remember the hither by thy help I've comes of our life. We take time to reflect on God's perspective over our life. 
And that can look a bunch of different ways. I've seen it uh, with like writing Sharpie on a rock or in a journal or just kind of sitting at your dining room table mentally rehearsing this over. But this idea of memorializing what God has already done so that in times of grief you can pick up that rock with the, the Sharpie that says on it like, Andrew was born July 1st. And you say, the Lord's provided before. The Lord's been with us before. I, I didn't even remember that hard thing I went through. And now I'm remembering that God delivered us from us. I had completely forgotten about that. That's leaning into God's perspective. It's not at all taking away from the current suffering of the moment and simply zooming out a little bit to remember the faithfulness of God and say, he's done it before. Why, why, would, he, why would he stop now? He's going to keep going. That's God's perspective. And I hope, I hope as we read this truly that, that we do vindicate Naomi this morning as a, as a sympathetic figure. The truth is we, we can all relate to her because a lot of us have felt like her, stuck and wondering if God cares and waiting and, and tired of waiting. But there is a sense here in this story in which I think probably some of you are already thinking this, where we just kind of want to see Naomi just buck up and get with it a little bit. Like, stop complaining. <laughs> like, stop being uh, so down. Stop whining. Just kind of get, pull yourself together a little bit here. And when we start to get in that mindset, we start to wonder, what, what, what does she need to do? We're talking about, you know, the perspective of God. Okay, we'll just get with it. It's like, okay, God's presence. Well, fine, but come on, move forward. Let's keep it moving, Naomi. Here's the last thing for us while we wait. While we wait, we need to lean on God's perseverance. God's perseverance and his, his acting in our life. You see, it would be wrong to put this on Naomi to fix this for herself. She is not the one to get it together. In fact, she will remain, uh, she is a redeemed figure, but the Lord moves in her life even in this season of bitterness. He does not wait for her to have a joyful response before he begins to move and care for her. But we can't spend the most of this time thinking about Naomi or is it Mara because there is another, another name that has been used in this passage with a very heavy hand as the author writes in verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, and again at the end of these four verses, in verse 22, so Naomi returned, and they came to Bethlehem. Now, I don't think we needed that three times in those four verses. The author is saying this. This is not up to Naomi. You're stuck in a, in a season of, of waiting and waiting for the Lord to move. Always winter, but never Christmas to make the connection. What about, O little town of Bethlehem? Naomi has already arrived. The Lord has put her feet in motion where deliverance begins. For this same town right now that is stirred up, asking, is this Naomi? Will later, yes, generations later, but later be stirred up again by angels, by shepherds, by wise men, by an evil king asking, could this be the Christ? Is this the Christ? And this is what it comes down to. God will deliver his people. He's laying the groundwork for it here in this story even now. 
We are being asked to wait for that. And we take Naomi, who is a tad grumpy, jaded, cynical. It's not her refresh of her own perspective that gets her to the finish line. And it's not going to be our perseverance either through our hardship that gets us to the finish line. We're called to be obedient to the Lord. We're also called to remember that it's the perseverance of the Son of God who brings us to the finish line. God has led her to the place where his own son will be born, Emmanuel, God with us. And if he provided for her all these years ago, he will continue to do so now. And I want us to see that every accusation that Naomi lifts against God, ultimately in Christ, God brings down on himself to deliver an estranged and embittered people from him. You can go down the list of everything she plainly accuses God of putting her through. She says, God has dealt bitterly with me. Well, Christ dealt pleasantly with a world embittered against him and took a bitter suffering upon himself that he might redeem us. She says, I I was empty. I was full, I mean, and and then God emptied me. Well, Christ emptied himself on our behalf that he might fill an empty world and empty souls. Moreover, Christ took the testimony, our testimony, where God should be testifying against us on himself, that we would not bear that judgment and took calamity upon himself, that we would know eternal peace with God. Every accusation that Naomi says has gone wrong in her life, Christ takes upon himself that and more so that he would deliver his people. We are obedient when we wait. See how much God cares for this woman, even in her bitterness, to bring her to the brink of a harvest. And so may it be, so it will be with us, for all of us who wait. All in Christ will make it. The waiting will conclude and will be good. And on that day when Christ says, you're you're done. This is over. You're taken. It will be a good end. There will be no more crossing back over the line, back into bitterness, back into tears. Everything from then on will be pleasant. And the name Christian in Christ will stand good for all of eternity. So now we have to wait, but we are assured of God who will deliver the disappointed. So let us wait well not trusting even in ourselves to take our own steps, but to trust Christ who has already wrapped us into himself and will carry us unto the end. And pray for us and close here. Lord, we thank you for this word that bears witness to the anguish that we can often feel in our own hearts. Never want to be just passing over that. You don't pass over that lightly, Lord. In fact, you took all that and more so on yourself that you might redeem us. And I pray that you would strengthen us even as we come to the table, Lord, this morning in our waiting, that we would be those who wait well, who wait with patience, but who ultimately are leaning on you for your strength. We thank you that you are faithful, always faithful, faithful to an unfaithful people, Lord, faithful still. Please let us know this, know this deeply, Lord, and let it spill over to our lives even as we shine as lights in this world and bear witness to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.